This week, we're talking about factions and how to integrate them into your world. What makes them tick? What drives them? What makes you part of a greater whole? These are all questions we will fail to answer. Welcome to We Speak Common. Hello, Joe. Hello, Benjamin. <laughs> your your hellos every week, I swear they get a little bit more sultry, a little bit more smooth. Well, Ben, you know, in these trying times, we're all getting a bit of, you know, grey on our head and a, a bit more wisdom behind the ears, I suppose. So, um, Is that where you keep you know, your wisdom? Yeah, 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 it's best place for it, best place for it, mate. So I'm just trying to... Um, you know, represent that in my engagements with the audience, Ben, and yourself. Fair enough. All right. Well, I have gone the complete opposite in these trying times. I have, oh. I've delved deeper into madness. Um, I've been spending the last uh, probably three days uh, pulling out the old second edition modules on Spelljammer and <laughs> reading about the interstellar gulf realm space in the phlogiston. So Why? <laughs> why because i find it interesting yes. i think it's incredibly mental and bonkers and i and i love it oh dear ben look mate we are never going to play a spell jammer game okay <laughs> ben we got we've got about eight different games queued up already well it's interesting right? you say that because there is actually a spell jammer vessel crashed in undermountain Brilliant, Ben. But for, look, for that to happen, we'd actually have to go into Undermount and, and play that campaign, which has not even happened yet. Just yeah, but it might happen. So I just want to be prepared. Think of the barriers, you know, to entry. All you need is a is a helm. That's down there too somewhere. Look, I, I admire your enthusiasm, okay? But, uh, <laughs> look, it, yeah, like, it probably won't ever happen, but I find I'm one of those people that just enjoys reading the law and just knowing that it's there and exists. You know, we, yeah, no, we don't have I to fly that. through space. We don't have to meet the Neogi and and battle in the interspherical wars. But just knowing that they're up there and they're happening, that's 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 enough for me. Jesus, we're nerds, aren't we? Oh, it's so we weird. Are just... It's so weird. I had a moment last night where um, Fee FaceTimed me. Obviously, we're we're in different houses at the moment, so we're we're FaceTiming a lot. And um, she was like, "Are you all right?" And I was like. Yeah, it's like you know when you read a lot. Do you remember like in in sixth form when you're studying fury levels and you'd read a lot and then your brain would just kind of hurt? She's like, yeah. I'm like, I just got I just got so much in my head. She's like, what? And so I started to explain <laughs> the, the the mentalness and like saying words like phlogiston and. And wow, I bet that was, a real, that, was a real, that was a real turn on for you too, wasn't it? The old phlogiston. Oh, mate, you know. mate she's, <laughs> she will never look at me the same again. Um, you know, and ex- explaining the gravitational planes of interstellar craft. Like, oh, God. Oh, dear. Uh, I went on to, I, I, I entered a whole new level, mate. It, uh, but I, uh, I enjoy well, it. I can't, I can't really talk. I mean, I was playing Star Wars yesterday. Hmm. Um, the the uh, role-playing game. Yeah, obviously. With, uh, yeah, not just make believe. I, I, I was running the game for my brother, and uh, it was quite fun actually. He, like he's played a few sessions now, and he's getting into it. I mean, he can, you know, he really constructed his lightsaber yesterday, mm. which was a uh, a fun little moment. It's a big there's moment. Pretty, yeah, there's some pretty good rules for it. Well, it's actually like interesting. Star Wars, how it's built the game. 
So they had like the base, well, they had three base games come out that kind of work with each other. Mm. Um, you can play classes across any of the three games, um, but they have slightly different rules. So they have that. And then in one of those, which is more heavily focused on the force and things, uh, they have some lightsaber crafting rules, which are like super, super basic. And then they had the GM's toolkit, which came out, which is kind of like another game master, like, kind of like a, uh, a GM guide, sort of. Yeah. Um, because obviously these core rule books, they have essentially what would be the PHB, the GM guide, um, Monster Manual, sort of all kind of crammed together in one. Um, but this GM toolkit was just extra stuff for the GM, and it had an extra adventure in there. And then in there, they had some slightly more complex uh, lightsaber crafting rules. And then they have splat books for each class, essentially, or each career in this game, which expand on that career, tell you how to do, how to focus adventures around that type of character, which I actually really enjoy. Um, it'd be the equivalent of, I don't know, making a an entire book about paladins yeah. and not just mechanical stuff, but how to write adventures for paladins oh, and what's cool. important about them. It's they, they have splat books for each character, but in one of the splat books, randomly, just I can't even remember what one it is, like the warrior stat book or something, they have mega complex <laughs> like lightsaber <laughs> crafting rules in there. just a random sidebar. It just felt, yeah, there's like it's just like a few pages dedicated to it, which it, it was kind of cool. I think it's because there's a pre-written adventure in there or something um, that has a a moment where you need to make a lightsaber so that's why it's in there but um yeah so we used those rules that was pretty fun and uh, it cool. gives you a really a really essentially like a really unique magic item at the end of it based yeah. on based on your roles do you know that's something I'd like in D and D. I'd like some more definitive rules on on crafting magic items and and making your own uh, like custom magic items or cu- just custom items in general. Well, the crafting system in Star Wars is really good. I mean, you basically have any item, whether it be a lightsaber or a blaster or armor or whatever, basically has like hard points, right? Mm. So you say it has like five hard points, which is what you can bolt stuff onto it with. And then you have attachments which you can stick on that take up a certain amount of hard points. Like an ACOG scope? Uh, yeah, sure. Like you, um, So like for the lightsaber one, just because I've got those in my head, I remember. So you have like your base lightsaber, mm. and then you put your, your crystal in, that takes up two hard points. And then you might put, say, I don't know, um, uh, an extended handle one, which takes up an, uh, another two hard points and gives you plus one damage or something, right? Mm-hmm. So you can put these on, but then what, and you can do that for free, essentially without doing any rolls. You just need to pay for the materials, Mm. but then you can modify each individual attachment. So your lightsaber crystal, you can modify it and make it better. That extended hilt, you can modify it for it to do more damage or do better criticals. And those are where you have to pay, but also roll and each roll you do so different it will tell you each attachment what mods you can add on it so say like your lightsaber crystal you can mod it four times and each time you mod it you add plus one damage but for each subsequent mod on that attachment like the roll gets harder and harder and eventually if you crit fail anytime your entire attachment can blow up and all that hard work can go down the drain mm-hmm. you know um so it gets much more and more so the risk and reward like if you can get really lucky you can get, have this massively like broken weapon but it's highly unlikely to happen before you break the thing yourself yeah 
like physically break it. Um, so there's so much complexity and it sounds kind of overwhelming, but it's not really because you just, and it's balanced in a way that, yeah, if you were to mod completely trick out your gun or whatever, it would be massively OP. Yeah. But unless you're playing a mechanic or engineer based character, it's going to be really hard for you to do that. Yeah. That really knows what they're um, doing and can make those checks. Yeah, exactly. And f- they sort of say, um, especially with lightsabers, not to make them too OP, that no one else can really modify it other than the person who owns the lightsaber mm. and uses it, you know, who's connected to it. I don't know, quite like that. And then they get let, they let you add your sort of quote-unquote force power um, to the role. So as you progressively get better in the force, you'll be able to make a stronger and stronger lightsaber, which mm. makes sense. So the balance actually works out quite nice, and it's a really decent system so we were we were playing around with that but yeah i really like that because you end up each item kind of feels like a dnd magic item after you've modified it in a way yeah and it makes it your own and it's quite unique you're not going to come across another exact version of that item out there in the world even when you're crafting your lightsaber to begin with you can add so many different modifiers and things to it that there will be no other one like it out there which yeah. is quite fun every time i hear you talk about the um the star wars game it makes me want to read those those 5e star wars books over and over again and i, I just need to find the time to sit down and read them and just see what I, they're about i uh i did read um a fair bit of it what were your thoughts uh, just just uh, I, ca- I don't i don't really like it to be honest um because each each uh, sort of class or whatever is just a reskinned D class mm-hmm. which makes sense well yeah um but they just feel like lesser D and D classes to me, you know, with less flavor mm. somehow. That like the the, D, the original D and D barbarian feels more flavorful than the Star Wars version, or you know, Star Wars version of the fighter. Um, and then obviously there aren't force, there aren't wizards and things in the sense, but there are force users which use just force points essentially. Yeah. So uh, just similar to spell slots in there. Um, their pool of power that you can use and, and then you know recover after a, a long rest. I don't know, it just felt to me, I just I don't know why I would play that over D D. You know? Yeah. It, it would be a lesser experience to me. Obviously I've not played it so I don't know for sure. But I think the I idea mo- is is for those people who who know D D's system and they want to play a Star Wars themed game. Like I get why it exists and it and it intrigues me because it, it gets rid of the need to learn a new system. But but if like you, you already know the new system, so why would you you know, why would you do that? But Yeah. And I mean the Fantasy Flight Games one does ha- have its flaws. It mm. it really can be broken quite easily. Yeah, and I feel that without without people even trying to get too powerful, you can there are just a few. There are a few mechanics that are quite pre- uh, prevalent throughout the game, but when you come across each of those mechanics, it just really breaks down the action economy mm. and the damage and things like that. Mm. And also, I can. It's a little confusing in that kind of the the lexicon of the game. Uh, it has so many different descriptors of things that you think mean one thing, but don't. So you have to basically learn this entirely new language. There's, yeah. So there's like a thing like, so you can get defense, which does one thing, but then you can also get defensive, which does something quite slightly different. Yeah. See, this, is, then- this is where I realize where 5e has done a good job to make it 
accessible and more more dumbed down. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's dumbing down, but in like a in a logical sense that yeah. you know they lose the least amount of complexity as possible, whilst um, being simple. Yeah, gaining the most amount of um, accessibility, I suppose. Yeah, that's a good word for it. Um, so, yeah. Well, look, before we dive into just randomly chatting about <laughs> games again, which is what we did last week, which I think people enjoyed. It's actually it's, it's, the episodes performed quite well. So maybe we should do more catch ups like that because I certainly enjoyed it. Um, but we, we did have a topic we were going to get onto last week. And I think it's quite a good topic for us in general. A uh, friend of the show, Gabe, ha- emailed us a couple of weeks ago um, saying that he's in, he's enjoying the show which is always nice um but said that over listening to a number of episodes he's noticed us bring up and talk about factions a lot mm-hmm. um specifically me when talking about dragon heist uh, and you when talking about your your regions and your worlds and things like that uh, he says he's he says i struggle using them in game most of my sessions are my players fighting monsters and creatures outside of towns or cities uh, with little uh, to nothing in towns and cities other than sleep and shopping i guess what i'm saying is how do you bring factions and their effects into your narrative so that the players feel the impact of the factions or factions in fighting um he says for example i've been well building a large undermountain dwarven city kingdom for months i have numerous houses and clans and connections between them all on paper how do i show this to my players in a way that isn't me just reading my notes to them and i think um such an amazing topic that i can't believe we haven't spoken about it before because this was a big thing i struggled with a long time ago it was like okay well D is adventuring and it's fighting and it's delving into the dungeons um and there is a whole other side of it there is the whole political intrigue and, and city life and role play aspect which i think now i've really nailed but getting that understanding took time so um let's let's talk about that mm. do you want well, to go into your world first or mine Sure. First thing you should do is play Fallout New Vegas. <laughs> um, okay, well, I've yeah, never played Fallout New Vegas. Has perhaps probably the best factions in any game I've ever played and how they integrate themselves into the story mm. and how they they, they cross-pollinate uh, around the, the the game world and how their stories intertwine and not only their stories but their motivations um, their allegiances, their their fears, their goals, everything crisscrosses in a, a sort of a physical way, a, a way that moves them across in the plot, but also in their own ideologies. Mm. And I think that's the key there to making these factions really tick. I I had a bunch of different factions in my own city um and what i suppose their key ideologies and how they conflicted is they each had a different view for how the city should run the future of the city and its people and its inhabitants had each faction whether it be sort of the kind of crazy cultist thieves guild mm-hmm. or this basically the um hyper oppressive um cia of this city um or, or the the government the queen um, any of these factions had a slightly different view on how things should look for the future. And as such, they're constantly coming into conflict with each other. And sometimes if, if their viewpoints and their end goals align enough, then they can uh, 
align their forces to become more powerful or work with each other. And that happened a little bit. Mm. But that's what really made them tick. And I think I'm doing something similar now. And it's a little harder now because there's less, I think, physical differentiation between the these new factions. But basically, in my more northern setting, I've got a bunch of different earls who run different parts of the world. Um, but they have a unique relationship in that they're all kind of subservient to a, an overall king. But it's very the, the government is very devolved and very much um, they're their own people for the mm. most part. And so, how much power does this actual king really have? Well, that's up for debate, and there's a lot of change going on in that in that area right now. But my challenge for me was okay, I've got all these different earls, and and they're, they're different races, and and that sort of thing. But they all fulfil a similar kind of purpose, right? They're all just sort of government heads. So what? makes them different it was easier for me to differentiate you know the thieves guild from the military right it they, they were very that they, they served very different roles mm. but these people sim- serve very similar roles so I was like, oh, how could i make them different so then it became down to their belief system what do they believe what do they you know fight for or, or what do they hold value in basically and I could then figure out based where they are on the map what traits they would have. So the 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 Earl and the area of the world that um, your character's from, Ben, uh, because they're right on the border with another nation that they war with a lot, but they seem to have quite a lot of mutual respect for, they have a very different viewpoint towards violence, war, um, conquering because they've been doing it for such a long time and in such close proximity to where you know to where they sleep to where they live unlike these other earls you go raiding on very far away to very far away places and it's kind of like an exotic thing to do mm. it's more your been your you know night and day ever since you were a kid basically that will then give you a different viewpoint on warfare and danger and the value of life compared to someone else who wars kind of as a game like some of these other earls do and so that was one thing i did and then i have another faction which you guys have not really seen at all about these elves who live in the far north where it's extremely dangerous and extremely cold and hostile and everything is very very difficult um now so i don't want to give too much away about them but you haven't met them but Mm. they are a very different people and they because they live in such harsh conditions their motivations and goals are very different to uh, to everyone else, right? They have a different way of seeing. And then I suppose my final, one, one of my other factions is a set of, is a kingdom that is ruled like partially by dwarves, partially by, by humans. They have two different religions going on in the same setting because... There's a Dwarvish religion and then this Northern religion, um, and they kind of come into conflict a little bit. And so their motivations are very much wrapped up more in the, in, I suppose, in the minutia of their belief systems and just holding their own faction together without yeah. them splitting in their own ideologies. And so what motivates each of these different people is very different based on their own struggles, right? So then when they come together, that will uh, then inform how they behave towards each other. You know, the um, 
and perhaps the Dorvish uh, uh, and his people might become even more fractured if they're exposed to a lot more different people because it's mm. just, again, different um, systems of belief and things. And if they're already kind of splitting at the seams, that might just tip them over the edge. I mean, your people who come across and see these other these other earls who maybe, you know, you might feel some sort of... Um, aminosity towards because they have it a bit easier than you maybe you see yourselves as more educated in in terms of violence and things like that than these other people and so i think when you're creating factions you you just need to do it in a logical way you shouldn't differentiate them for the sake of differentiating them right you shouldn't um there should be a reason for the way people behave and it doesn't have to be so perfectly trackable um like I said, how good New Vegas is. Some of some of New Vegas is a little on the nose. Like there's a, I can't remember, if I remember right, there's a faction in New Vegas. They're called like the Bombers or something, right? And they're obsessed with like artillery and like really powerful munitions and things. Mm. Um, they're, they're and they're basically amateurs just hoarding like really powerful weapons. And it's basically because they have a they they're based on like an old military base that has all this gear, and they sort of worship this. Um, this crashed basically like B-17 flying fortress that's like crashed in the lake. Um, so, okay, that's pretty on the nose. Uh, these are the big gun people because they have big guns, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah, there's, yeah. A little, there's a little bit more depth to it than that. Um, but all like um, in Fallout 3, you got Megaton and they they have an entire religion that's wor- based around worshipping the atom because they live next to an unexploded uh, nuclear bomb in yeah, their town. yeah. Uh, so and that's that's a little bit more interesting makes a bit more sense and those are permutations the the developer there has had to think a couple steps down the line so i would say when you create a faction make it logical make it make it so the players can actually track why these people the way they are but it doesn't necessarily have to be because of this you know that yeah think of like this happened which maybe made them feel like this which perhaps led to this which then created this sort of belief system or this set of values and viewpoints you know if you think just a few steps down the line it makes it less obvious it makes it more natural in a way because you know if you think about the way me and you feel right now about any number of topics we're influenced by so many different things right Mm -hmm. but you if you were to go back and psychoanalyze each of us you know under a therapist or something you could you could probably figure out work out why i think that way yeah the base instincts that have led us to those those beliefs um, so, so, but you can do that to a less complex degree in D and D, and still have a, a set of factions that really feel cohesive. Yeah, and I feel like you're looking at it in a very wide, um, a wide setting because obviously you're you're looking at regions and kingdoms, and uh, I, I want to talk a little bit later about how you can you can bring those factions and have them involved in things even when you're not in their in their kingdoms or in their hometowns because that is that is a a, a tip to make them ever present and ever meaningful and we'll get into that later um and i think when you when you look at factions on a smaller scale you can really and i think it's a good way to start by looking at them a smaller scale because then you can build out into those bigger cities you can work out what they really are and why you want them so when you look at um obviously i'm, I'm running Waterdeep. there's there's a lot of factions in Waterdeep, and there's a lot of factions in the forgotten realms and in faerun that are synonymous with the, the campaign setting like the centaurum and the harpers and, and the emerald enclave and you know break and darth these these factions that have existed in our stories in the forgotten realms for, for years and so that people know them but 
that that doesn't just happen like you can make that with any faction um when we i find when i look at factions i tend to think of them on the smaller scale let's let's say we're looking at a, a city like Waterdeep, um and we've got a uh the xanathar's guild right they're basically a faction they are a criminal organization they're not really a thieves guild they're they're kind of like terrorists in a way um and they are run by the xanathar and the harpers they are run by well a couple of people but basically just a couple of people they're not like a they're not like a government so that one person is in charge and and their ideologies and their their plans and machinations kind of form the the beginning and the belief system of the faction these people these heads whether they were the first or after a line of people agree with the the plan of the group and have hired other people that agree with the plan of the group so the harpers in the in the forgotten realms they believe in doing what they must for the greater good um for the greater good if you're watching half us and so they will hire more people that will do whatever they need to for the best of everybody um the mm. zentarum they are uh, depending on where you're looking they are uh, basically a mercenary guild they will t- do jobs for money and they can be a little bit more shadowy if, if that's what you need you know the Xanathar's guild they they're a little bit different they're kind of a bit all over the wall because of who runs them um and break and Darth, they are a group of drow run by Jalaxel who are basically hired for money but they're also very loyal to whoever's paying them if you can pay them more they'll they'll switch sides and they all have these ideals and these wants you know Jalaxel wants to put Luskin in the Lord's Alliance he wants money he wants power uh the Xanathar wants to basically run Waterdeep from his his lair he wants to be the one in charge the shadow counselor effectively uh who really knows what the zentarum want and the harpers want to protect everyone and keep keep the law in order so you have these groups that are all doing things and and even as we're explaining them you can see that they oppose each other the harpers Mm -hmm. instantly oppose the xanathar's guild um you can you can see that kind of black and white it's then putting that in the game and, and having players see it which I think people struggle with. So I think Dragon Heist is a great example. Even if you aren't planning on running it, it's a great place to look if you're wanting to see how factions work because the game starts off when the characters arrive, there is already this brewing tension between the Xanathar's Guild and the Zentarum. There are already... Uh, gang wars and fights happening on the streets that instantly is one way for the characters to and the player characters to see these factions and 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 sort of get a feeling for for what they want because instantly they know ah well there are these two groups that don't like each other and will fight whenever they see each other they clearly disagree about something or want the same thing and are fighting for it so already without any explanation other than you, know, you walk around a corner and, and you find the City Watch um, have cordoned off an area. There are uh, some dead bodies. You can see one of them has the tattoo of a winged snake and the other has this circle with 10 spokes coming out of it tattooed on his bald head with a load of eyes around it. Um, you know, they already go, oh, something's happened here. And when they ask the guards, they say, yeah, there's nothing to see here. It's just gang rivalry. Move on. You know, already they get a sense that these factions either want the same thing or just despise each other for some reason and stuff like that can come out as you play you don't necessarily have to say okay 
go and do a quest for the Harpers for them to learn about the Harpers. I mean, it's a great way of doing it, but maybe the characters are on the quest for a magical weapon, right? They want to find the the Sword of Odin to fight the magical, mystical snake thing that's destroying the planet in five days' time, right? Great story. <laughs> but... They want this mythical artifact. Well, it's mythical. Everyone knows about it. So who might they find along the way? Well, maybe they'll find the Zentarum who have been paid to track down the artifact and find it and retrieve it for some powerful mega rich wizard who wants it for studying. And so they interact with the Zentarum. Maybe the players decide to team up with them and then betray them. Maybe the Zentarum secretly plan to do the same thing and through their interactions with these npcs this group they learn the the way the zentarum work and their ideals and they learn that they have been hired by someone to do a job which means ah they must be a group for hire so none of this stuff is stuff that you specifically have to say ah you meet a group of black clad mercenaries they are from the zentarum do a history trek oh okay you got a 20 okay here's everything you need to know about the zentarum you could do that sure and some players will enjoy that but you don't have to do it that way you can interact with them in feelings and even there without meaning to i've sort of touched on how you can interact with them out and about in the real world but in the, the real world but in in the city is, is where i'm kind of focusing they they can constantly cities are these big boiling broth pots of intrigue and they can constantly clash fists or, or have conversations um and if you want your players to learn of a specific group or interact with them or even just hear about them or just know that they exist having them interact with people who are part of the group but aren't out on group specific jobs is is a great way like oh you know you meet um the halfling Grindelgott and he uh he is working uh, at the bar today and he serves you drink and as he reaches over you you notice a tattoo on his wrist uh, oh what's that tattoo uh, you don't know but it looks like this and already you've seeded something well, like, so this might come. So, for instance, um, you met a faction on your way to this new area, kind of like a, a set of yes, I of mercenaries um, that were on their way south. What do you think, from a, your player's perspective, and this would be kind of interesting to hear, that you gleamed about their faction and their beliefs and their way of doing things okay. just from that brief meeting with those few characters? And this is a while ago, so you'll have to forgive my memory a bit, but I know that we were we were travelling through that big canyon, um, weren't we? And it was like, you can either mm-hmm. go one way or another. And we saw them approaching, and so we got in a rather defensive position. We hid ourselves, and we watched them for a while and eventually interacted. And we kind of learned that they were heading from where we were going to to where we had come from because they knew a war was brewing and they were going out to to take on jobs and to basically make the best of other people's crap situations um and they were excited by it they seemed to be um happy that they they had something to do finally uh, and go in and fight in these strange new world uh, areas of the world for them um so in my mind and i forget the group's name you'll have to remind me i've got it written down somewhere they they were basically mercenaries but i wouldn't call them that they were more than that it was kind of like their way of life and they were going out there to to do what they do for other people have fun doing it and make money while they did it yeah and that uh, that's basically the, the gist of it and how i 
put that across in that moment is that I kind of use the juxtaposition of you just come out of this terrible, dangerous war zone and conflict that had literally just sparked as you had left. Um, and you were caught up right in the dis- the destructive path of these two um, powerful factions clashing. And so you'd already seen sort of the destruction it had wrought. And then you come across these people who uh, are pretty keen to go down there, get amongst it, um, start making money. I mean, they even mentioned that, you know, they've, they've kind of been called down by one faction, but they may fight for the other one. They're not, they're sort of undecided yet. They'll yeah. get, they'll, they'll, they'll decide when they get there. I think one of them even said, you know, they'll, they'll probably pick the faction who's losing, you know, cause they, Cause they, like, fun. The yeah. they like the challenge. Yeah, I remember that. Um, and so that was a way for me to straight away through kind of natural dialogue and interaction begin to give off indications of who these people are. And I wanted to, to sow a few specific seeds there to grow on later. And this is certainly something you can do with your own faction. So what a few of the key things I put there is there was one character who was not as keen. He was a younger character and uh, less sure of himself uh, and his, like and his combat rookie, abilities. He? he is. But I, I, in the little sort of brief combat counter you had there where you, you, know, you weren't sure if they were friend or foe, he demonstrated some pretty competent skill, right? So... I wanted to get across the point that he's quite it's clearly a skilled warrior. Um, I th- I'm pretty sure someone had made an illusion or something, and he yeah. basically headshotted the illusion with an axe. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like he he was pretty good. Um, so it was more it was in his head, you know. And the the guys were giving him some sort of a rough time about it. They were kind of hazing him a little bit because he was a uh, you know the new guy. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, there was an undertone of guidance there. And, and respect um, as well, I think. And, and respect there as well, yeah from, yeah, from the leader. And so you got an idea of it allowed me to demonstrate what they respect. They respect strength. You knew a little bit about their belief system at this point anyway, so you knew they were, you know, they were keen to, to die a glorious death and all that, that stuff. But what I wanted to get across is that these guys have no real distinct loyalty to anyone other than the money. And they don't really, from your, from what you were saying, care too much about the money either. You know, mm-hmm. it's more about the journey than, than the destination as such. And I think that was interesting because then as soon as you get a bit further in into that land, everyone is loyal to someone, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone is under some earl who is under some king or some person, right? Everyone has these ties. Almost, you know, everyone you meet has a, a special armband that denotes their pledge of allegiance to one person or another. I mean, your characters have you have your own armbands of allegiance to your dad, essentially. Yeah. Right. Um, everyone's allegiance, but and that's in juxtaposition to these mercenaries who don't have this allegiance to anyone. And like, how does that fly? And I think a bit later on, one of you did like a history check about it or something, and and learned that these people are tolerated because. They're such extremely good warriors. They're basically good brand for the North because mm-hmm. they're the only thing other than getting raided by these people that people from outside of this kingdom see. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're good sort of PR in a way because they're just really powerful, strong yeah. warriors. But the only thing people know about this Northern land is that these absolute beasts come down and, and you know, and wreck, and wreck shop. shop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but how do the, how, and so you've not really experienced it yet, but part of, these people's culture is people in the north are always trying to take their allegiance and take their independence 
they're the only thing that is independent in this land. Everyone else is tied to, to some faction, something, yeah. some faction in one way or another. It's a big part of people's identity. No one's really an individual in this world, um, especially because. And then, it, in a way, you're tied to an earl, he's tied to the king, and then in some way, is tied to gods. You know, mm. because the gods in this world and people's beliefs believe that the gods have such an intrinsic manipulation of everyone's daily lives from every single thing that happens to you is a sign from the gods or in some way is an influence by them so in a way you can even look at it as everyone is tied to them in a way and is subservient to them so there is no individuality apart from these these mercenaries who um who somehow through their history and the culture and, and you know, i won't spoil it because i'm sure you'll find that stuff out down the line that's what I wanted to sow, just that little bit from day one. And when you first met them, you wouldn't have been able to know that. But now you've come across these other factions, you can see the difference. Yeah. And I think that's the tool you can use with factions is you don't have to explain it all straight away. Show a faction and then what's interesting about them may not be prevalent straight away. But then when the players are exposed to these other factions and other people, the juxtaposition of this initial encounter becomes so much greater right when you put it in context amongst all these other um opposing factors and factions and things that initial meeting then has slightly more relevance or a different look you can look at it in a in a different way yeah. i always like the idea that if you have a character or an npc who's hiding something right that may cause them to act in a certain way if you have a character that's actually polymorphed as another character right um for instance like a uh like know, a hat disguise a yeah well like i've done this with like a dragon before like the word a dragon is a person yeah right and they and they are behaving in a certain way there may be that along down the line when the players figure out oh that was a dragon they can look back and be like oh, oh that makes sense yeah that's Oh, and that's, that's why uh, flames were coming out of his nostrils. <laughs> oh, it makes so much sense now. Yeah, I thought I thought that was the curry he was eating. <laughs> you know, but you can do the same with with factions, and I think you can give more and more context to them when you show them um, in amongst other people. When you only have one framework to look at something from, like like if we go back to the Fallout New Vegas approach, you know, there's a um, there's a basically you've got the two of the main factions in there you've got the basically this paramilitary group right who's trying to bring law and order again to the wasteland they're um the new californian republic or something like that is what they're called yeah and they they kind of seem like the good guys you know they're, they're like they're sort of this militaristic group that's getting a handle on things and bringing order and then next to them you've got this other group, this uh, legion that look like complete savages, right? <laughs> and uh, they're, they're barbaric and they basically sort of do the equivalent of like crucifying people and everything like that. They seem like crazy. But so when you first meet the um, NCR, they, they seem very civilized and whatnot. And then when you first meet the legion, they seem very uncivilized. But the more you learn about the both is you see there are gray lines and they're they cross pollinate in many different ways and they have complete fallacies at their core and complete, um, I suppose lies at their core, really mm. that, that break down their own systems and what they put out to the outside world. But that only works when you have the juxtaposition of the other faction. 
those differences uh, in beliefs and how they do things would not be as obvious or as enhanced um, if there was just one of them in the game, right? Because you wouldn't have anything to compare it against. Yeah. And I think that's key. Like, even you can compare a faction with that faction, how that faction was even, like with the same faction. That's what I did with the Thieves Guild a little bit. So my Thieves Guild is it's a Thieves Guild, but inside it is kind of a secret cult. <laughs> that um, They sort of worship like a, a warlock-ish great old one type god so you can sort of see how that might go yeah um, it's all a bit lovecraftian um and they are doing some bad stuff but I, I had many of the npcs even and especially ones that work within the guild already um hint at how things weren't always like this yeah and before this cult leader was in place and taking control of things they acted a bit more like the thieves guild they they people spoke fairly highly of the previous leader of the guild and how they were more traditional thieves guild and some people had um you know different um viewpoints on that that previous leader but how he generally did things in a different way that some of them liked more some of them like less now Mm. but what that does is it informs the players that hey this is not the quote, quote unquote sort of status quo. It's this not is not norm. this is not just Joe's version of a thieves guild and how they operate. They're just a lot more brutal, but but this is normal in this world. In fact, no, this is this is not normal in this world and not even normal to the NPCs that inhabit this world. Yeah. Right? If they feel a bit weird about it, then that should inform how maybe the players should feel about it. Um, so um, I think that's that's an incredible tactic to use and that really works, especially if your characters are getting knee deep into uh, into the guild. The other way to do it as well is if, if they're not getting into or, or they've not taken the plunge in joining yet um, is, and, and I think this works if, um, if maybe, for example, earlier you were talking about how when we were entering that new realm, that new area we we had no reference so we were meeting that group for the first time and forming opinions as we went so this works more on the flip side of if maybe you say okay well we're playing in this city this is the setting and you guys have lived there your whole life but you don't want to just give them a bunch of exposition is that when they talk to people and npcs regardless of whether they're in faction in the faction another faction or if they're factionless they can say things that are just the kind of general knowledge. So in Waterdeep, the the characters might talk to someone in the Yawning Portal who's who was an adventurer a long time ago, um, or maybe has just lived in the city for a long time, is enjoying a drink, and they might say something off the cuff like, oh yeah, well, you know, there's entire army, don't want to cross them. If, if they're being paid to do a job, they'll do it. Like, that's just a statement. Everybody knows there's entire get paid to do work. Everybody knows that they can be ruthless because they're doing something that they are paid to do. So they'll do it right. So you don't cross them. And there you've already given the players information without them having to meet the group or or know them. It's just kind of a general statement that everybody knows. And now the players know it too, as they are like everybody else. So there are ways of of doing that kind of exposition-y stuff without making it exposition. And and that, what you're saying, Joe, with the saying like, you know, this isn't the norm, this is this is different, you should feel this way, without saying you should feel this way, you can do it there too. You can have that, that person in the bar who isn't part of the group say something like, oh yeah, well, I had a buddy who, um, who crossed, uh, 
who crossed them once and and they they did this this and this and it was it was i mean not like not like back in the day when you just get a slap on the wrist and be told to sod off <laughs> you know he lost a hand like that's not good you know think you know you can you can i don't know what he did maybe he stole something it's usually why you lose a hand isn't it um you know you can you can give that context without them even interacting with the guild too which or, or the faction i should say which uh i think can be really powerful and and it can make your world feel a bit more lived in. We always talk about making it feel like a lived in world. If if even NPCs, you know, factions are known. If NPCs have opinions, they can share them. Hmm. Yeah. And then it's uh, make, having people from one allegiance or maybe someone who's sort of wholly independent describe how they feel about a faction or mm. a group of people or a group of ideals can give the players a lot of context as to, okay, yeah, how this person feels about it, but whoever this person is associated with, maybe how that greater group feels about it. And yeah. if you learn what, what's influenced this NPC to say these things, it gives you an even greater context as to why they might be saying this about this person. What are their motivations? Maybe they're a bit of a, um, a false storyteller, right? Or they have a um, unreliable perspective, but, and the players can figure that out and that may influence what they're saying. So you can get so many layers deep. And then what you're achieving, if you do this scene correctly, is you're learning so much about this NPC, you're learning so much about how they feel about this other faction and thus information about this other faction that's being delivered in a natural way without um, unnecessary drawn-out exposition. Yes. I and always because- think what what's quite powerful is if you get a... a- quote-unquote commoner you know like a normal just a, a normal person not an adventurer not a a, a pirate or a, or a faction leader or, or someone in the government just a normal everyday person who lives in this world if the characters get their opinion on a faction that's always quite powerful because they can mm-hmm. sort of feel that it's coming from a from quite a neutral point of view yeah yeah and i think that in terms of being afraid of just espousing to to the party mm. as long as they i think the expedition is best done when it's hidden right behind yes. some other veil of interest or curiosity in that scene there i could see the main drive of the players is okay i'm learning about what how this npc feels right mm. and as such if i learn about how this npc feels about different people and different factions i'm learning about what drives this person what motivates them what what is it that makes them afraid what is it that 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 gives them goals and i can learn about all that about how they feel about other people right if someone says i don't like this person that doesn't just tell me about that person it informs me a lot about the person who's saying i don't like this person right yeah and but underneath all that what you're actually doing is you're telling your players lots of information about the world <laughs> and they don't even know it and hopefully you know? they're you've, taking it on board tri- you've tricked them into learning you know? <laughs> that's what we're always trying to do um i think as well one thing i do want to say before it leaves my mind is that if you're listening to this and you're thinking god like like gabe says i've got these all these clans and these houses how do i make them interact without just telling them stuff and you're thinking oh they've got to have plans and they've got to be doing stuff like yes the ideal is that each of your houses each of your clans each of your factions have plans and they are constantly working towards those but if you don't want to constantly track like maybe you're, you don't think you're, or you think it's too much work for you you're not quite there yet that's fine that you're saying oh i, I don't really want to track you know that 
clan a has sent someone off on a mission who's doing this this and this and clan b has sent someone off on a mission to do this this and this and then i've got to remember to work out whether they succeed or fail and what that changes if you don't want to do all of that work if that's not your that's not your garb then the the easier less deep way to do it or more shallow i should say is to say right okay faction a wants x faction b wants y so let's say faction a wants to rule the city faction b wants to create a slave market maybe they're evil um you don't have to then sit down and go okay well to do that they are doing xyz what you can do is when the characters interact with them which they inevitably will in your games is that they they come across with these ones so the characters might interact with faction a and say oh we're doing this this and this and they'll go in their minds in your mind you'll go ah they've just told faction a that they're doing something that would better faction a faction a are now going to offer to help and they might tell them why they might not and you instantly then link the players in with the faction because they're basically they basically become a quest giver or maybe a a, a party member for a little bit they help um or, or hinder perhaps and in that interaction the party learns a bit about the faction and eventually will learn more because they'll they'll understand why the faction got involved with them when they either succeed or fail at their quest but they don't actually feel like they've been given another quest because they're not now doing something for for faction a they're still doing their original mission but now they've got this extra information and this extra help from this other party that has gone oh that's interesting we know this this and this and they've given that information because you know it would help them you've not actually done any extra work there you've just you've just had that interaction as characters which is a good way of doing it the other example with faction b with slave traders maybe the characters are out on their quest and they come across captured npcs and they free them and in freeing them they get in a conflict with these these captors and when they kill them they find markers on them and they they find these house sigils and then later on down the line they might see that house sigil somewhere and go ah these people were with those slavers and they might begin to put two and two together you've not actually done anything there you've just built encounters and then run with them Mm. Yeah, no, it's interesting. I, you know, and I'm always concerned. You know, when we talk about this stuff, we get a bit too, a bit too deep. Well, a bit too kind of esoteric with it, and and people are just asking, like, I just wanted to know how to set up a scene. Like, <laughs> I, I, I don't care about the fears of motivations. You know, like, yeah. but, and I, I, I kind of get that. We, yeah. was, but to be honest, this is what in you know we're secretly teaching you how to do that stuff by telling you all about the fears and motivations. Because for, for me, I have to know a lot of that stuff to mm. accurately portray a scene. And, yeah. and this is what makes any good TV or book or anything good is that the, the writer spends a lot of time thinking about the character in depth, yeah. right? So then when they come to write, it, it's very natural because they're in that headspace of that person or that thing. And really, any faction is just made up of a large group of individuals who the perhaps have similar beliefs yeah. or have some sort of tie together, right? And they might even not want want the same thing, but they are tied by something, whether it be geography or, or belief or need. Or, or need or outside pressure from family or friends or whoever, right? Mm. Um and those are all things you can use to tell uh, an interesting story. I think, and, cer- at- and certainly give them a differentiation between other factions. Yeah, at its base level, it's what does this group of people want? Why are they all together? And then when your party interacts with them, 
and the party because you don't know what the party is going to say when they meet people you never know what the party are going to do that's the fun of D. so when the players get there and you know what this group this faction wants and why they're together you know those two bits of information when the party give them whatever they're going to give them how does that group of people that faction react to that and from there you have your interaction and from that interaction the party then learns about the faction it's it's that's it at its base level and it, and it really is that simple but we we delve into it because if you if you go that deep it becomes more natural and that's where you get those in-depth stories and you get that 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 stuff that you remember for years to come and and the reason mm. we love D and just ttrpgs in general indeed it's that depth that makes it you know ultimately superior to, to any other form yeah. of interactive entertainment you could <laughs> you could consume you we, know, is, it, is that a brave statement to make or, or do we do we fall back on that wholeheartedly i think so because think so. it gives you a wholly different experience to anything else you could possibly do mm. you know in a, an interactive medium um, and especially more so than mediums that are not interactive they give you different and perhaps differently good experiences but there is nothing quite like when you have a really tr- a truly you know organic world that you can then mess with ultimately as dms that's what we're trying to do is we're trying to give players and it will always be an illusion but an absolute accurate illusion of um of reality basically so well that was deep and i think you hit it on the head um as a, as a palate cleanser joe a really quick palate cleanser gabe has one final point at the end of his email which is um unrelated from the rest of this topic uh he's just wondering if we use props and being someone that does use props i wanted to get your two cents on it um because i know that i don't you haven't really used props before for us um so i i use props i uh i he says do you make them do you buy them what do you do uh, i make them i have given the parties letters i tea stain paper write the story i wax seal it and give them the letter i've made scrolls i've um made uh what else have i what have i given you before i've given you tons of stuff haven't i, I give you maps and things how did how does it feel as a player when you get those yeah, it's cool. It's it's always kind of a a shock and a bit like fourth wall breaking in a way, mm. but in in like a good way. It's, it's it's when it's done well, it's like your imagination, right? And this because you're if you're in a scene, you're imagining the world and you're visualizing it. You're kind of gone to a different place, right? And mm-hmm. it's like that world has been pulled an aspect of that world has been pulled into reality right and that can have a a powerful effect on the scene and it's like it's almost like your manifest your your imagination has been manifested Mm. in front of you you know and that that can be pretty pretty strong i think cool well there you go gabe i use props i think they're great but use them sparingly so they contain that effect um cool uh if you want to get in touch with us like gabe did you can at any point um you can drop us an email which is what he did at we speak common at hotmail.com tweet us at we speak common on twitter uh, if you see us on reddit uh that's usually me so drop a message or a comment and uh, we have a website which is we speak common.com and you can uh, get get us through there too there's a little contact us page awesome um next week joe we are doing something quite fun uh we have been 
We have been called to order by the Sage of Shadowdale. Um, there is a oh. an interesting, fun little book that's been released on DMs Guild. It's currently top selling. Uh, it's Alminster's Candlekeep uh, Compendium? Uh, companion companion um it's just kind of keep companion uh, it's a lovely little book it's got um character options it's got lore on candle keep the the massive library it's got um new spells and and lots of fun little stuff and we've been given four copies to give away so we are going to delve into that next week and give you a chance to grab some some goodies so it was it was very exciting. I opened the book, went straight to the magic items. I knew you'd do that. Fun stuff in there, Ben. <laughs> I knew you'd do that. Stuff. Well, I have. Uh, I went straight to the law because, as <laughs> as we know, uh, I am <laughs> all for that stuff. Um, so we'll we'll get into that next week and uh, give you a chance to win a copy and, and talk all things Elminster, which has actually come up in the perfect time for me because I'm reading Elminster's uh, The Making of a Mage book. So that's. Um, the, the novel so it's, it's i don't know what's going on but everything seems to be aligning for me at the moment joe <laughs> <laughs> scary when things like that happen um enjoy it yeah mate i'm gonna, I'm gonna roll with it um well look we're playing D in like 20 minutes so go have a break and i'll, and I'll see you in a bit cool man see you in a bit see you bye-bye thanks for listening today if you like the podcast do us a favor Leave us a like or review on your platform of choice and share us with your friends. You can get in touch with us on Twitter at WeSpeakCommon or through the email WeSpeakCommon at Hotmail.com. The music in the podcast is Street Dancing by Timecrawler82 and is licensed under an attribution license CC by NC. You can find it on the Free Music Archive. Free Music Archive.